Good. Well, we continue in our study of Revelation. We are in the midst of the seals, the breaking of the seals. Revelation chapter 6. We have looked at the first two seals that have broken open. Remember, uh, real quickly, our, our, our view of the seals is not that they are future, but they are present workings of, of uh, God in the world. Um, at least the first four, the, the, and the sixth and seventh. Uh, the fifth seal is a little bit unique, and there's a reason for that. And I tend not to use it to refer to God's working in the world, uh, but rather the working of men against God in the world. And really that's the activity that's wrapped up in all the seals. Uh, they are all related to man's opposition to the work of God, that man's opposition to Jesus Christ. And so we had Christ arriving. Oh, I should go through a few of these, shouldn't I, Ken? We, we, didn't, we just added these. We had Christ arriving in heaven, taking the scroll from the hand of the one who sat on the throne, changing the song in heaven. We have uh, then the beginning of the breaking of the seals. It says, right, I, I see that as an immediate event, that it was not uh, 2,000 years later, but right away that those seals began to be broken. We saw two of them broken open. We related those to the things Christ said would happen in Matthew 24, 4 through 7. Uh, we looked at some of those. We're going to see some more of that tonight. Uh, and then we're going to close with Matthew 24, 8. But I'm also going to introduce something uh, a little bit later tonight that uh, might be a little early, but uh, I think it needs to be said to add credence to the fact that this is really referring to church age activity and not something in the future. Uh, and hopefully it'll give another supporting passage for us to see, well, this fits into all of Scripture uh, and not just Matthew 24 or the corollary passage in Luke, um, but all of the prophetic utterances with regard to uh, this activity going on during the church age. And so we had two opened up. The first one, of course, we related to false teachers. You know, white one with a bow and a crown uh, to conquer. Uh, the horse is used to go to and fro upon the earth. We're looking at continuing long-term activity that seems to us random. Uh, that's here and there and up there and over there and right here. We see it moving around on the earth, but still ongoing activity, hence the horseman. Uh, so we have the false teachers that Christ said would arise, would uh, say they're the Christ, would deceive many, many would come after them. We all then see the uh, red horse and its presentation of war, that there would be uh, peace gone from the earth. Uh, and that he has a great sword, uh, and referring to, again, the work of men in going to war with each other, the war would be... Uh, not only continuing in the church age, obviously there was war before the breaking of the seal. But what's odd is why is there a war during the church age, the age of grace, the age of mercy, the age of salvation? Why is there war? And not only war that happens, but that becomes more and more violent. That is more and more deathly. Uh, we think that war used to be done the way it is has always been. We think of World War One and World War Two, the Civil War. Uh, we look at those, and I don't think we comprehend just how destructive they were in terms of human life compared to the battles and wars of old. And so 
Uh, when we see the battles of Jericho, we see, you know, multiple thousands being uh, uh, killed in war. Those were extreme rarities, really. In most wars, we have them carrying away captives. We have them not being so genocidal. Genocidal war is really pretty recent outside of Israel, of course, being told to clean out the land of Canaan. But again, they failed. They didn't do it because that just wasn't normative. It just wasn't what war was for. It was you wanted to keep those people. You made them your slaves. You kept their resources. Um, The idea of slaughtering everybody and destroying everything was really uh, unique in what God required of Israel going into the land of Canaan. Um, because they were intended to be his instruments of judgment on them, on the Canaanites, because their sin had come to fulfillment. And so war is going to persist, and it's going to grow uh, worse, if you will. Uh, and we've seen that in, uh, of course, our modern era, where uh, we keep thinking after every war that we're going to make peace, and uh, we've had how many wars are going to end all wars? Well, we had one for sure, right? The war that was going to end all wars didn't happen because the war that's going to end all wars is Gog-Megog. Not even Armageddon is going to be the war that ends all wars. It will for a thousand years, um, but even Armageddon isn't the last war. Um, And so we find war. And and of course, Christ's statement is, don't be troubled, don't be worried, Um, and it's more than just fretting. Um, that word, don't be troubled, the end is not yet. The word troubled there, I didn't really talk about it very much last week. I didn't, I didn't take a lot of time on that. It's not just about worrying about it or um, getting caught up in it. Uh, it's more substantial than that. It really talks about don't let that shake your faith. Don't let that move you to not believe in God because men are at war. How can And even now you hear people say that, and it's something I'm going to address Wednesday night with my teens because they brought up a question I didn't take the time to answer very well. Um, and that is, uh, if bad things happen, how can God let it be? And, and we hold that somehow against God. Uh, and the idea of not being troubled is, don't let this shake your faith. When you see this happen, you I'm told, telling you ahead of time it's going to happen. Uh, you're going to see it. A nation's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Don't be troubled. Don't let this bring doubt into your life about the working of God in the world. He is still active. He is still alert. He is still there for us, for those who trust in him. He is still working together all things for the good of those who love him and called according to his purposes. So um, that word troubled is, is more than just worry or fretting. It's more substantial than that. And so let's go on and we're going to, Let's read. Let's pick up where we left off in chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 5. It says, When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. So again, we have... A third seal broken, uh, and we are ready to see what is also going to occur during the church age. Not that this one takes the place of the other one, but rather all four of these will be riding continuously. 
they'll be riding together. Um, that where uh, one isn't, the other one is somewhere else, and, and the other one's there. And, and so we have yet another rider now coming forth. He's wearing a black, he's riding a black horse and he's holding a pair of scales. Can you see the little pair of scales? We're going to have to make them gold or something there, Ken. I don't think it's, they're there. How many of you can see them? Never mind, they can all see them. So they're fine. It's perfect. Scott, can you see the pair of scales on there? I didn't tell if you were, no, he can't see them. So you're going to have to do better. He'll get on it. He would have done better, but traffic was terrible on the way here. So there they are, yes. Thank you. Is that you, Elijah? Okay, yeah. I have another one, but no. So we have the black horse, and uh, we are told that he represents famine, uh, that he represents uh, that food is going to become scarce. Uh, it's described as you're going to work a day's wages for a loaf of bread. Uh, for the measure of, of wheat or barley will require a day's wage. A denarius is a day's wage. Um, but again, this isn't, uh, this isn't constant famine necessarily in one place. And nor is it complete famine. In fact, it says specifically don't harm the oil. And that's not referring to, uh, motor oil or oil we're pumping out of the ground. It's really referring more to olive oil, uh, and those cooking oils that you would use. Um, but it says, don't harm the oil, uh, nor the wine. And so while we are going to have famine, it's going to be uh, in not only in different places at different times, it's going to be here and there. Uh, it's going to creep up and, and, and then dissipate um, all throughout the church age in various places, but it's not going to be complete famine. Uh, I think one that I've studied uh, quite a bit is the, the famine that happened in Scotland, right? Y'all familiar with that one, right? Uh, when the potato famine, right? The potato harvest was gone because of, what was it, a, not a, I keep want to say virus, but uh, a blight on the potatoes. Interestingly enough that just a few years earlier, no one ate potatoes, they were considered non-food. And one guy had a great big party, invited everybody out and served them potato soup without telling them what it was because they all thought it was poison, potatoes. And within, what, two generations, they come, become totally dependent upon potatoes. And with a blight wiping out the potato harvest, uh, thousands of people were dying of starvation because of one blight hitting one crop. They had become so dependent upon that one crop in that land. And so uh, that's the kind of things that Christ says, you're going to see these things. This is what's going to crop up, and it's going to be here and there where food becomes scarce, and, and it's not the entirety. Uh, in fact, when we get into um, Acts, one of the things that we're going to see is that they're going to be responding to a, prof- uh, a prophetic word about a famine going on uh, in in all the world, it says, but uh, we we notice immediately that that in Antioch they either weren't touched by it or they were prepared for it, and we're going to address that. And there's going to be famines cropping up, even in Jerusalem, even in uh, uh, some areas that uh, weren't known for it, and uh, we have seen that throughout the church age. And again, 
we have been protected from it uh, to some degree in this land. There have been some times, uh, the Oklahoma Dust Bowl, uh, that, that period of time, and uh, we have some crop failures that we have uh, experienced as a nation. Um, interestingly, uh, there is uh, uh, a lot of work that's been done uh, about why our nation has not experienced severe famine like many other lands, and uh, much of it has been connected to guess what day coming up before us, Thanksgiving Day, that since the institution of Thanksgiving Day that we have not encountered as a nation a, a significant national famine because we are one of the few countries in all the world that took a day aside every year to thank God for what we had. And many attribute it to that fact, to that presence. And, and other nations have followed suit. Um, specifically, uh, Canada has a Thanksgiving Day as well. Uh, and so, but there's famine. Famine is real. It's on the planet. Uh, it is uh, moved from place to place. Uh, but all it takes is one, one harvest, one uh, crop failure uh, to, to impact large amounts of our world. Uh, what is the real food? When we think of famine, we often think of blights and, and, and uh, droughts and things like that. But there's another aspect to famine. Uh, and that uh, is tied up in, in what uh, is going to be bringing forth in the next seal, in the next rider. Uh, and that is uh, what we're doing to the crops. How many of you recognize that there is a famine currently, globally, going on right now that all nutritionists are very concerned about? And do you know what the famine is, in our land particularly? It is not in the lack of substance of food, but in the lack of nutrition in our food that they are greatly concerned about. That you're getting lots of calories, but you're not getting any nutrients out of your food. Because of what we've done to the food supply. We also want to look at things that we have manipulated. Um, mad cow disease. Why does mad cow disease come from? I don't think we realize the impact of that one disease. But if you go anywhere else in the world and travel, you immediately know that there is an issue with beef. That the world hates. The world is very frightened of beef. Because of mad cow. Why do we get mad cow? Why do we think we got mad cow, put it like that? David? We were, huh? Yes. We were feeding cows, cows. We were adding animal protein to a vegetarian animal's diet. And we are grinding up cow parts, adding it to their feed, and feeding cows, cows. Even though they are not designed by God, to eat that. They are, they are herbivores. And they made cows omnivores. And mad cow disease was the end result. Many believe. And so we, we have this kind of destruction of our food supply uh, and tainting of it that is going on all over the place. And when we look at what happened in our land... And because we bring in food from all over the world, we don't feel the pinch like we should. 
We, sh- we didn't feel what happened to our swine herds in this country last year. We barely hiccuped over it. But we had to slaughter hundreds of thousands that died, babies, of virus in the swine herds of the United States. We started importing that to cover it. Um, we're now in recovery. We've wiped out, well, we haven't wiped it out, but we have brought the disease under control, and now all these pig herders are having babies. We lost an entire year's worth of, of piglets. That's why bacon was going <laughs> through the roof. And if it didn't get under control, it would have gone even higher, doubling. But they got it under control. They wiped out entire herds to do it, and uh, this is what's going on. But we are insulated from it because you're not very connected to your food supply. You're connected to Smiths and Albertsons. And they're willing to bring food in from anywhere all over the world to make sure that you get your food. Uh, and so we've had problems with food. So famine is still real. And it's going on in places and it's taken various forms. But the statement is that you will have it. Uh, and this correlates again with what Christ talked about in Matthew 24. Hold your finger there and go to Matthew 24 if you want to see this again in the statements of Jesus to the disciples. In verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We saw that last week. Verse 7b, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. So there's going to be this blighting of the earth that it's not going to produce what you need to, and you have a lot of death and misery as a result. This isn't God's fault. This is the penalty for rejecting Jesus Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the result. You didn't want Jesus. You murdered him. You crucified him. You washed your hands of him. Well, what is the result of that? The result of that is that you are going to have to live with this kind of stuff in your world. All of this, by the way, all of these horsemen are going to disappear when Jesus comes back. You're going to find all these things gone. There will be no error taught. There will be no wars going on during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. There will be no famines unless you don't come and worship Jesus in Jerusalem or for Egypt, wherever their altar is. Um, If you don't do that, then famine will hit your land. Even then, that is the consequence of rejecting Christ. And so as nation after nation fundamentally rejects Christ, famine strikes. It's going to be not uh, isolated to one area, but it's going to encompass many different areas across different time. But again, not entire famine. It's not going to be permanent. It's not going to be devastating. There's still going to be elements of the food supply available. Uh, Interesting that wine would be one of them, right? You can find alcohol everywhere you go. You go down to Haiti and you think, well, these people don't have money for anything. And boy, they got rum, though, all over the place. Rum is made from sugar cane, right? Fermented sugar is rum. 
So you just ferment something and you're going to get some alcoholic beverage. And we seem to be able to produce that even in famine inundated lands no matter where you go. They seem to be willing to turn some part of their crop into wine that seems to be capable. Um, you can make a, a wine or alcohol out of potatoes or out of barley or out of anything um, that grows pretty much. I think you can make it out of um, Even apples, the hard cider, you got to watch out for that stuff. i got to tell you a little story about hard cider. You ready? My wife traveled to the mountains of Virginia for the first time with me in apple harvesting season, and we stopped by a roadside stand way up in the mountains of Floyd County. And Floyd County, if you don't know, is the number one county in the United States for bootleg liquor, and uh, historically, way back. And she went into the little produce stand, and she said, I would like to buy a gallon of cider. And she says, I want the good stuff. <laughs> I didn't, wasn't with her at the time when she asked for the good stuff, and the lady went to the back to get the good stuff for her, which was, uh, whoo, the hard stuff um, from last year's apple harvest or something. I don't know what it was. But... Um, She'll never ask for the good stuff again at a Floyd County fruit stand. Um, so we couldn't drink that. But my mom did. That was really strange. So anyway, uh, let's keep going. So we're not gonna, it's not gonna be complete and there's still availability of foods, uh, but not necessarily in the beneficial kind. The grains are affected, uh, and yet there's still grain for wine and, and, or fruit for wine. Uh, so we still have a limitation set on this. Um, God is still going to provide for his own. So let's go to the fourth seal. The fourth seal we break open, and uh, we find uh, in verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so, you might say, well, that's very similar to what we just had, but it's really a combination of these things that we're not just talking about suffering, we're talking about death. And so we have yet another rider coming forward uh, that there's going to be a substantial death from these elements. And again, when we go back in what we just read in Matthew 24, 7, that uh, he says not only is there going to be famines, there's going to be pestilences, there's going to be earthquakes, um, all of these things you're going to experience in the church age. They're going to be what's going on. And we talked about the, the uh, fourth, the, the one quarter of the earth, that, that this is a limit. Just like the famine was limited, you can... Uh, Make it expensive to eat, but there's still going to be food, and you're not going to touch these categories. Um, and so there is, there's that activity that is limited, and we're also going to find a limitation here. That the, the limit that's going to be allowed for this horseman to reap, if you will, from the earth and death according to these ways is up to a fourth. Doesn't mean that a fourth of every generation has to, but up to a fourth. That's the maximum, not the minimum. That up to a fourth of the earth's population in any given generation is susceptible to death 
from either uh, from any of these ways, um, from war or the sword, from hunger, which is famine, uh, from uh, death by beasts of the earth. And so we find that, and by the way, beasts of the earth is a very generic name, basically anything that's not human. So we're not talking about your cow stampeding you, um, but it could be a number of things, nor is it that those, that many people are getting eaten by lions. Um, you do recognize that the beasts of the earth are accountable for many of the things that kill humans, um, disease-wise. Try going to a country that worships the rat and uh, see how much disease and suffering there is there from that. Go to India, where they set out milk to feed their mice and rats um, while their children are starving. Figure that one out. And so... Um, there are multiple ways for this. But, but the limitation is there, up to a fourth of the earth's population. And again, of any generation, and we can look back and see that uh, that quarter population has come into place uh, several times as a limiting factor um, because there are several generations that have substantial losses from these ways, um, even up to this kind of a number of a quarter of the population. When you think of how the Civil War emptied our nation of men uh, for that generation. Just incredible number of losses uh, that that really, I don't think we've matched since, have we? Have we, have we matched the losses of the Civil War and all the wars since? I don't think we have yet. Um, that's how many we lost in the Civil War. Of course, you have Americans killing Americans, so we're counting losses from both sides, or we don't count losses in the World War II, uh, our losses, we don't count Germany's as ours also. Um, but from all these ways, you're going to have that many die. So these four horsemen are out there doing this activity. But Jesus Christ, in Matthew 24, tells us something about this. He uses a phrase in verse 8. and says, "These, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, what did they ask him? They asked him, when will the end be? And remember that Jesus Christ wants to warn them, you need, before you start looking for the end, I need to tell you what's between now and the end. And he's going to begin by giving off a list that looks a lot like this list of these four horsemen. And he says, these are the beginnings, not the endings. This is the beginning point. You're going to see all these things. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be shaken in your faith in God. You can still trust in God, even while you see this kind of stuff going on, because you know that this is the result of people rejecting Christ. This is not caused by Christ. These are men. These are men. These are false teachers. These are men of war. These are what men are doing to their food supply. This is what they're doing. This is death... um, that we're encountering, all related to the fact that we reject Christ as our king. Globally, nationally, we reject Christ as king. And so we have, this is the beginning of sorrows, not the end. He hasn't gotten to the end yet. He's going to get there eventually, Matthew 24. But at this point, he just wants to set a stage and say, listen, You're concerned about the end of the age. I understand that. But in your lifetime, and a lifetime of many, many, many Christians, 
here's what you're going to have to live through. And you need to be prepared for that more than you need information about when the end of the age is. You need information about the intermediate period between now and the end of the age. What will you have to live with? Well, you're going to have to live with false Christ. You're going to have to live with wars and rumors of wars. You're going to have to live with famines, with pestilence. You're going to have to live with earthquakes in various places. You're going to have to live with all this junk, with death all around you, sometimes on enormous scales, and not be shaken. And not sit there and blame God and not think he's not active or that he doesn't know what's going on or that somehow, uh, oh, we didn't know this. Well, you did know that. God told you ahead of time, this is what life's going to be like until the end. But this isn't the first time we've been encountered this. This is not the first time we've heard this message. Let's go to Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. Let's see, do I have a slide for that? I do, it's way down here. It just snuck up on you. Did you see that sneak up on you? Right underneath Matthew 24, Daniel 9. Now these are the 70 weeks prophecy. We're going to spend a lot more time on this later on, but I need to introduce one phrase out of the 70 weeks prophecy, and that's scary to do. It's hard to do in just a couple of minutes to talk to us. So, so very quickly, um, let's go through the 70 weeks. Daniel's told that from a marker time, and that is when the decree went out to rebuild the temple. That's a marker in history. Boom, put your stake down and start counting years. That from that point until Jesus is crucified will be 62 weeks of years. 62 sevens. Okay, that's 483 years. So from the time that this occurs, did that happen in Daniel's lifetime? Uh, possibly, but possibly not. It might have happened shortly after his lifetime. Um, so when that happened, boom, here's the decree to rebuild the temple. Um, from that time till the Christ is crucified, not born, but crucified, 483 years. Mark it down. 62 sevens of years. And that's given to us. And so Daniel's told this. Let's just read it. And I'll stop when we get to where I want to interject something that's appropriate to tonight. We'll start in verse 24 of Daniel 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most High. All right, all that describes is there are 70 weeks left in Israel's official national history with God. There are 490 years left. What it doesn't talk about, except for one little phrase, is a parenthesis of a couple thousand years that are going to be stuck in between these. But Daniel wasn't focused on that. He was focused on, God, when are you going to finish things with Israel? So when the Most High is anointed, when visions are finished, when everlasting righteousness is brought in, where there is no more sin, (laughs) the end of sins, transgressions are over, 
When that happens, in reference to Israel's history um, with God, it's going to be 490 or 70 weeks. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And we understand that perfectly, right? The Messiah was cut off for us, for all men, not for himself because he was sinless. He died. The Messiah was cut off at the 62nd week, 483 years from the edict to rebuild Jerusalem. At that event, something else is going to happen. That's not the only thing that happens at 62 weeks. The, the next thing it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So after Messiah is cut off, there's going to be another event coming, um, and that's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem, the city, and the walls that ha- were rebuilt. Remember, they were issued to rebuild. Um, so the sanctuary, the temple mount, that is, uh, and the city. And the end of it shall be the flood. We're going to talk a lot about that when we get to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, but then there's a phrase at the very end of verse 26, another and. So you have three events. You have Messiah being cut off after 62 weeks, 483 years from the edict. Messiah is cut off. And following that, Jerusalem is destroyed. And following that, another and, a third thing that happens before the 484th year of Israel's workings with God, and that is, until the end, and my text says, of the war, but that's really a very poor translation, it says, until the end, war and desolations are determined, is how some of the, the the translation is going on a much, uh, it's much clearer that way. Uh, the, so you've got Christ's death followed by the fall of Jerusalem, which we're going to study later on. And then for the extended season that we don't know, it says till the end. From there until the end of it all. In that period of time that God isn't, Primarily working with Israel. And, and this isn't Israeli redemptive history anymore. Now it's uh, this age of grace and of mercy that in this period of time, uh, from the fall of Jerusalem till the end, there's going to be some stuff going on. What are the two things that are described? War and desolations. During this time frame, there's going to be war and desolations. War and desolations. And what Daniel is given is, listen, there's a parenthesis here. And in that parenthesis, and the parenthesis starts with Christ's death. Stop your clock at 62 weeks. And don't count any more years until you get to the end. We are in the period of time between the 62nd and the last seven. And so we find, here we go, with 60, uh, there's 70 weeks, you have 60, I'm sorry, 62, 69. And so we have this 
present us that there's going to be seven. Oh, another week left. There, there's another period. It says in verse 27, He shall confirm a covenant for many with one week. So there's a last, there's, there's I'm sorry, 69, I'm going 62. So there, there's this period of time between Christ at the 62nd, the fall of Jerusalem, the 69th, and now there's a gap. There's still a 70th week. There's still seven more years. But between those, we have to put in a period of time that says, till the end. From the fall of Jerusalem, 70 A.D., to till here, something has to happen. War and desolations. 62, Christ, 62nd week, Christ is crucified. 69th week, fall of Jerusalem. 49 years later. We know when the fall of Jerusalem was, between 67 and 70 AD, depending upon whether you want to count the beginning of it or the end of it. So that gives us a three or four year time frame for the cutting off of the Messiah. But you ha- we know when that happened. We know when these events occurred. Um, and we can back up and we know when these other events occurred and they line up. And we find that there is one week missing but there's a gap. The week the missing is going to be introduced in verse 27. There's one more week coming. But in between those, that 69th and that 70th week, there's this intermission called till the end. And in that period of time, he says, during this period there'll be war and desolations. Now it is certain that in Daniel's mind, he did not consider that to be a 2,000 some year Gap. Well, not quite to the 1900 year gap. I'm sure he didn't foresee that. He didn't expect that. He didn't anticipate it at all. But we can look back now and say, okay, at that point, there had to be wars and desolations. Where do they correlate? They correlate with the church age. What do they line up with? Christ's predictions in Matthew 24. What does that line up with? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, the four horsemen, war and desolations. They're going to occur until the end. This is not the end. This is the beginning of sorrows. These are going to continue from the fall of Jerusalem all the way to Christ's coming. This is not evidence of the end. This is evidence of the beginning. This is evidence that we are in this protracted period of time where God is extending grace to men to be saved that's just waiting for the end. And so we have this this statement that's okay, we have Christ's death, we know when that is, we we have Christ's, or the fall of Jerusalem, we know where that is at the 69th, and now we have till the end. Uh, Where's the 70th week? Well, it's at the end. It's way at the end. In the in-between part, we have this till-the-end part that's war and desolations, and that's where we live. Daniel was told that this is what's going to be like between the fall of the city by a flood and the end, wars and desolations. Get used to it. That's what's going to be. These horsemen picture prophetically What's going to happen in the church age as we wait for Christ? And God's 
Jesus' statement to them is, this is just the beginning. Don't think this means the end. Don't confuse these with end times signs. These are not the end times. These are till the end times. This is what you're going to see. And I believe this is the mistake that has caused so many generations to say, certainly Christ must come in our day. Why? Because we got wars and we got false Christs and we have famine and we have all these things and we've said these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse and therefore since we see these things, Christ must be coming. This confusion has created that that false uh, looking. What Christ said to the disciples was, you will see these things, but the end is not yet. Don't let your heart be troubled. You must endure. You have got to be steadfast. You have got to press on. You've got to continue with the Lord as you see this junk going on in the world. Not shaken in our faith, but more determined in our faith to live for God in these days, knowing that while this is going on in the world, there's also something else going on in the world. There's a whole bunch of people out there sharing Christ. That there is deliverance and hope from this. If you'll simply do what the nations refuse to do, and that is bend the knee to Christ as king. Humble yourself, seek his face. This is the solution that the world ignores. We think we can bring an end to all this, and we can't. Nor should we really be make that our primary endeavor. Our primary endeavor is the gospel. To bring peace into individuals' lives with an expectation that nations aren't going to turn to Christ and submit their kingdoms to him. They have not, uh, none of them, not Israel, not the United States, none of them. So we're going to see it much later. And so we find these horsemen at their activity. We can go through every generation of the last 2,000 years. We'll see all of this going on um, to various degrees in various places, just as Christ said. And instead of letting ourselves be troubled that this is going on, we should not be troubled. Don't sit there and say Christ must come because all these bad things, because these famines are hitting our land, um, because there's these wars, because there's this earthquake. No, all of those things are typical. They are normal in an abnormal way for the church age. Don't confuse them with the end. This is the till the end stuff. Till the end, wars and desolations. The end is going to be much more dramatic than these limited, held back horsemen. They can only ride here and there. They can't be everywhere at once, which is very different when Christ comes to, and, and that's evident in the breaking of the sixth seal when eventually we get there. And so uh, this is what we confront. Daniel predicted it, was told about Daniel, they predicted God gave Daniel the prophetic utterance, uh, but again, till the end, this is what we're going to see. Christ said, these are the beginning of sorrows. You will see it. Don't let your heart be troubled. The end is not yet. 
long as this stuff is going on, we're still in the age of grace, believe it or not. Because as horrible as these horsemen are, they are limited. They are confined. They are limited in the extent of what they can do. They are limited in where they can do it. And they are limited to how long they can do it. They are confined. By the grace of God, so that we can share the gospel in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And again, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that we might not be troubled. That we, our faith might not be shaken. That we might stand fast. And know that while it might appear to men that you are causing this, we know that we caused it by rejecting you, continue to cause it. We see evidences of your hand to demonstrate that very fact that when people do humble themselves before you and pray in thanksgiving to you, that you respond by guarding them from this activity. And yet we also see the arrogance of men bringing it upon themselves. Lord, we pray that we might be guarded in our hearts from ever pointing our finger at you, but recognizing that this is the just activity of a God who has loved us and yet must deal with those who have rejected you. And so, Lord, we want to do as you've commanded. To brace ourselves, to stand fast, to not be troubled, and wait till your end comes. And we do pray you might come soon. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.